Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 13 today. But uh, hey, it is, it's good to be back. Uh, if you guys didn't know, you might even notice, but uh, I was on vacation. All right? You can see my glowing tan and all. Yeah, it's, it's great. It was a great time. Matter of fact, there are some pictures. I thought, hey, you know what? I went on vacation. I'm going to share some pictures with you. And uh, there is actually the house that we stay on, uh, stay at with my, my mother and my, and my family, my sister and her family. And uh, on and there's my kids on the beach. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. It is. But on that, uh, and I had a great time. Matter of fact, I had three servings of shrimp and grits. Three different, that was, it's an awesome meal. It is an awesome meal. It's a low country special there. But I filled up on that. Matter of fact, we went out to eat quite often. We don't do that regularly, but on vacation we do, and it was delightful, okay? Can I just say delightful? It was. But also something of great delight is something that exists on that uh, porch right there. Because in the shadows of that porch, there is a hammock. I talked about this hammock before I left. I met that hammock on vacation. It is nice. It, too, is delightful and restful. Uh, I did not put it together with a, a rainstorm, though. As a matter of fact, I, I opted to go with the rocking chair during one of the rainstorms as I sat on that porch with my daughter in red. But something I find from vacation is that, you know, after a while, vacation, you can get just used to taking in and doing nothing. Just take in, you know, have one meal after another, one nap after another. As a matter of fact, I did almost claim a nap every day. But you know what, as I thought about that, that too can translate sometimes into our our Christian walk as well. That in our life in the church, sometimes we can get in the habit of just taking in. We can get in the habit of just feeding on the meat of the Word and having meals of shrimp and grits of God's Word and just take in. But that's not the Christian life. Yes, we're to take in. Yes, we're to have vacations at times. Yes, we're to be fed. But we're also to give out. In fact, as I looked at these vacation pictures, it reminded me of another trip I took. Uh, You can see here, it was a trip that I took way back when I was in college. That is me. That is the young pup right there. And where I'm at is one of my favorite places in Israel, and that is the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. I mean, it is, it is teeming with life. You I mean, you got beautiful flowers there. You can see just the, the greenness and the beauty of the water there. I mean, I got to go swimming in that thing, rode a boat across it. It is just a wonderful place. There is streams that are coming down from mountains and are feeding into the Sea of Galilee. And then there's a stream that leads out and goes down through the Jordan River and makes that a, a, a fertile uh, valley that goes on down through Israel. But another place that I went to as well is, is these pictures. I went to the place, the Dead Sea. Remember, you can see that arrow? That's me. I'm floating. Remember, you can't help but to float when you go to the Dead Sea. There's so much salt. It is so dense that, one, you don't want to dive in, okay? You just want to, because it's going to go in your face, and you're going to feel it burn. Uh, but you can just kind of fall back, and it keeps you floating. Matter of fact, there's an Australian fellow with an umbrella over his head. He's floating there in the back. But if you notice, it's, it's different than the Sea of Galilee, isn't it? In fact, that, that green part that's in this corner on the right, most of that green part is only there because of irrigation. 
It's a desert, barren place. And the interesting thing about the Dead Sea is it's, it's one of the lowest points in the world. And, and the Jordan River flows into it, but nothing flows out of it. Nothing. And it's just dead. It's a barren place. And I tell you that story because the reality is we as Christians have been called to not only take in from God, but we're also called to give out. We're called to be servants. And the reality is if that you and I don't allow ourselves to not only take in, but give out through service in our Christian lives, they become barren as well. They become dry. They become desert-like. The reality is that the failure to serve leads to barrenness in your Christian walk and into the life of a church. But that's not how the Christian life is meant to be lived. Remember in Galatians chapter 5, it says this, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Do not only turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. That is, don't live just according to the flesh. Don't just be involved, we might say, in self Uh, feeding all the time, or just about self-centeredness or consumerism. But he says this, but through love, that is love for God, love for others, serve one another. The truth is that all of us as Christians, as followers of Christ, we've been called to a life of service. It's service that epitomizes the heart of Jesus Christ. It was that very reason that He came, that He came that He might serve. It's the heart of Christ. It must be the heart of every believer and the heart of every church. As we've been looking into the study of 1 Timothy, and as we, we've been studying about the intentional church, that's what we've called this series. And last, a couple uh, Sundays ago, Grant preached on the topic of elders and elders, as you've discovered, are elders are servants, leaders. They're, they're called to lead. They're called to provide oversight, protection. And they, they provide, as they lead, they are serving. They're see, serving through their protection. They're serving through their shepherding. They're serving as they teach the Word of God. They are servants, leaders. But as we'll see today... There's another office that comes with that of elders that's a close counterpart. That is the office of deacons. And deacons, we might say, while they may not be considered servant leaders, as they're not called to have the same oversight and same authority over the church, they are called to be lead servants. Let's look at this. You look at me together as I read from you from 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. He's just coming off talking about elders and their qualifications. And he says this, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also First be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife 
and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we look at this, we notice that, first of all, this our English word deacon here is actually a transliteration of the Greek word, diakonos. We just translated it over. We just gave it English letters. And this word diakonos is, is a term that appears a hundred times, over, or approximately a hundred times throughout the New Testament. And it's, it's translated in, in various ways throughout the New Testament. It can be administration, it can be translated cared for, or it can be translated as minister, or servant, or serve, or, or service, or even as preparations, or relief, or support. These are all different ways, depending upon the context, that this word diakonos is translated and is used to describe and call all Christians as servants. And, and, and in some ways, we can all call ourselves deacons because we're all called to serve. There is even some, as it's recorded in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, there are some who have the, the particular spiritual gift of service. That is, in some ways, they're just kind of a, they just have a special knack at being able to serve. They're just, they're just gifted and extra. It's, it doesn't even come as, as hard for them to serve others. It's, that's because God has gifted them particularly that way. And we need those folks because it's those kind of folks who lead us and motivate us to the further service. But here in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, and then Philippians chapter 1, and even possibly Romans 16:1. The word deacon is, becomes used in an official sense to refer to an office within the church, we might say. And here in 1 Timothy and Philippians, it is also used in tandem with elders, therefore presenting this as a, an, again, official position within the church and presenting the deacons as being called to be the leading servants in the church. Just as elders are primarily leading us into the word of God, deacons are primarily leading us and modeling for us what it means to be servants. It's interesting to note that the act of serving is so important in the mind of God. You see this word deacon as I've pointed out, it's a word that actually talks to actual action, the action of serving. But it's this term and this idea of serving is so important that, that what God does when he names the office is he just takes it and says, I'm going to call you a servant. That's how important and how valuable the idea of service is to God. Well, before we dig into this passage, we need to ask some questions. First of all, what is the nature of this office? How did it begin how are deacons different than elders? What are they to do? Well, the reality is, uh, as I've spent time afresh studying this again, the answer to these questions isn't that easy. The scriptures just don't give that much information about the office of deacon. 
However, I believe that as we look and read in between the lines of our passage in 1 Timothy today, as, we, as, we, as we've already learned about what the word deacon means, and as we look at a passage in Acts chapter 6, and I want you to turn over there now, in Acts chapter 6, I believe we get a glimpse of what it is the function of deacons are and what they're to do. Well, in Acts 6, it's never mentioned to be the particular office of deacon. I believe this is a prototype or a foreshadow of what would be become the office of deacon. Let me just give you some background. Is Acts chapter 6 is continuing the story of the early church. And the early church is, is taking off. It is growing. There are thousands upon thousands of Jews that are coming to Christ, that are now viewing that Jesus truly was the Messiah. But mixed amongst these Jews, there were some other Jews who, were, were, who had taken on particularly the Greek language and the Greek culture. And they were what we call Hellenistic Jews. They, they weren't the native kind of Jews that lived there, but they, they were influenced greatly by the Greek culture. And so as this church is growing, uh, some of the Hellenistic Jews begin to complain and their complaints as they bring to the apostles is that their widows are not being taken care of. Matter of fact, in, in Judaism, they had a great practice of how they took care of their people. The welfare system of what it was is they had people who were assigned that they would go throughout the villages and different places and they would take care of those who were in need. They would take care of those widows. They had people assigned to take care of these widows. But these Hellenistic Jews obviously did not have that. And so a problem arises. And the apostles who are at this time are, are serving is that in a sense they are kind of overwhelmed. Can you imagine trying to oversee the care of thousands of people? All the way down to the needs of the, of the widows themselves. And so what the, what the, the, the deacons or the, the apostles do here is that they realize that they need help. They need some people to, to be some hands on for them. That what they're called to do is they're, they're called primarily to the ministry of the word. And so they can't neglect that. So they need some teammates here. And so here's what it says they do. Verse six or chapter six, verse two. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve the Achanine tables. And, and, and they're not saying here that they don't want to serve. It's not that they don't have desire to serve. So they say this, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, that is they're respectful. They're known to be good men. They're known to be godly men, full of the Spirit and wisdom. That is, not only do they have knowledge, but they have knowledge that is they're able to apply to life, to use knowledge skillfully, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry, diakony, of the Word. See, the elders or the apostles here, we might say, they were, they were leaders, they were servants, they were servant leaders, but they had a primary calling that they needed to focus on. It was an imperative that this young church was taught and fed on the Word of God. And here you have people, thousands of people who have various needs, and they can't possibly prepare messages, disciple people, and organize the care for all the widows. So they, they practice oversight, 
And they asked these men, these seven, to serve in this way. Now, I believe, as we see the development of the, of the church in the New Testament, we see the elders taking on the primary function of the word, of ministering the word to people. That's why the elders, as Grant pointed out, they must be able to teach. They must have the ability to teach. Because their, their function, their primary function, is to teach the word of God, to share the word of God, to guard the word of God in the church. And see, what I think we see here is a prototype and what eventually is being laid out here, I believe, in 1 Timothy 3, is I see the office of deacon as working alongside the elders, helping to implement and then teach the teaching and the oversight of the church in its practical life. I agree with what David Platt says, and I think he puts it well when he says this. He says, elders are servant leaders and deacons are lead servants or leading servants. That's how they work together. Elders are servant leaders and deacons are leading servants within the body of Christ. It's not that one office is more important than the other. They are both important. Elders need the help of deacons to fulfill their role as overseers and shepherds. Now, on our church campus, we have a a computer network in operation. And what I understand, and I'm limited, and Craig's going to probably laugh at me, I'm limited in my computer knowledge, but this network functions because there's a server. And what the server does, is, from my understanding, is it enables the computers to communicate with each other so that all over, our, from in this building to our, our office building, the computers can be on the same page with each other. And the reality is, is our capacity... Uh, to maximize our campus productivity is enhanced because our servers are in place doing their jobs. As a matter of fact, we've experienced the servers being out. And productivity goes down. We're just not as efficient. So servers are important. You see, what, what God wants is that He wants His church, His people, to have servers that help network the body of Christ. That is, we need deacons to help the elders stay connected to the needs of the people in the church. We need deacons to help carry out the oversight and the shepherding of what the elders are trying to lead us in and teach us. Deacons are important. Their service is imperative. The reality is, less gets accomplished without those who serve. In tangible ways. Now, what is it that these deacons are to do? Beyond what we glimpse in these texts, we, we really aren't told explicitly. So let me just list some ways that I think that we can read between the lines and we can see that are some of the duties, just some of. I think there's actually some flexibility in how the elders can use the deacons and, and apply them to situations. But we, we clearly see some. I think one of the first ones that we see is that of, of benevolence. We see this clearly from Acts chapter 6. We see these elders or these deacons in Acts 6 helping with, with, the, with the widows. And the reality is we as a church have all kinds of benevolent issues that we, we need to deal with. And it's our deacons that help us to make wise decisions about those things and help us know how to care for these these individuals. I also think another area is that of finances. 
On our deacon team, we have some that while the, the elders provide the overall oversight of the budget and things, we have deacons who come and make recommendations. We have deacons who study our budget and advise us on the decisions and how we should be wise stewards of the, God's money. I think also there's the issue of facilities and grounds. As we have deacons who keep all the weeds out of the flower beds. We have deacons that keep this place looking nice. They're also in the area of ushers. We have a deacon who heads our usher team, who heads up our communion and takes care of all those things. We also have areas where deacons help us in administration and logistics. Sometimes us elders are not the best administrators. And we need people to help us to do that and to think through those things. Matter of fact, those of us who serve as pastors and elders, I'm telling you, we would, we would drive ourselves crazy if we had to deal with everything that needs to be done in the church. Matter of fact, you wouldn't want me doing some of the things that deacons do. You probably wouldn't want me keeping up and having to run around and make sure all the flower beds are clean because they wouldn't be. I'd never get a message prepared. Now, as we turn back to 1 Timothy 3.18, let's, let's look at the qualifications. I want you to know, so these qualifications are not any less weightier than those of an elder. Matter of fact, it is, and I quote, it is sometimes thought that the, or sometimes there's an erroneous notion that if you are really spiritual, you can be an elder. But if you're only moderately spiritual, then you can be a deacon and just help out in those practical areas. And I just want to tell you that that's just not true. That's a lie. Don't ever think of such a thing. Matter of fact, these, these, these qualifications that the, the elders are, that the deacons are called to are, are just as similar to the elders. And they're ones that all of us, that you and I should each seek as we are called to serve our Savior as well. So let's look at these, the qualifications of the office. The first is, verse 8 shows us that it should be someone of respectable character. Look at the text. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain. They should be men of dignity. That is, I believe this is an overarching character, characteristic of the, of the deacons that's further defined by what follows. But the idea of dignity is someone who is serious or, or stately. In other words, it means someone who is honorable or, or worthy of respect. In other words, a deacon is not supposed to be a goofball, as my dad would say. It's not that he's not humorous or can't laugh or, or have fun, but he's not someone who is marked by being silly and flippant. It's, it's someone who makes, doesn't make light of serious matters. That is, they, they possess the appropriate understanding of the seriousness of life. That is, they take their role and their function and calling of deacon as serious and something that they will follow through. Too many times in my church experience, I have come to see that offices within the church, such as elder and deacon, are held more as position than actually as practical service. And that's not what it's for. It's not just a title we give out to the most popular people. It has a place of function, and it's important. And a deacon is a man who will take it seriously. 
Second, he, he is worthy of respect because look at this. He's not double-tongued. This is what Tonto would say to uh, the Lone Ranger. White man speak with forked tongue. And a deacon is not double-tongued. He doesn't say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. He, he's a straight shooter. You, you hear what comes from his mouth, and that is truth. His yes is yes, and his no is no. He's that, he's that kind of person. Right is you cannot serve people well if you can't be trusted. Then he's not addicted to much wine. The word addicted means to turn one's mind to or to occupy himself. So a deacon is not one who is over-occupied with wine. In that day, the common drink was that of wine. So you can imagine if a deacon was given the particular uh, command to help with widows and to visit and do those kind of things, it was hospitality to give wine. And he had to be the kind of guy who said, nope, uh, I've, I've had too much. Or, I know I can't have more. He's not preoccupied with it. Nor is he preoccupied with or fond of sordid gain. This means greedy for gain. It is, it's the idea that why he's in the service and why he's in the ministry, it's not what he can give out of it or get out of it. It's what he can give through it is what it's about. It's not that money is wrong or it's not wrong with having possessions. It's just that it's not what drives him to service, that he can be trusted to handle money. Deacons often do that. And they need to be people who aren't greedy for gain. Or as Charles Erdman wrote, Judas was not the last treasure who betrayed his Lord for a few pieces of silver. And reality is sadly throughout the history of the church. There have been many others who have stolen from the treasury. And we need men who are not fond of sordid gain. Not only should he be marked by a character worth of respect, but he should also be marked by someone of scriptural conviction and application. Look at verse 9 with me. Likewise, deacons must be, and we carry that idea to verse 9 as well, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You say, what is this word mystery? Is this, is this something that's mysterious or, or mystical? Is this a Sherlock Holmes novel? Is that what he's talking about? That's not what he's talking about at all. In the New Testament, mystery was often used in a technical sense. It was used to refer, sometimes I believe, to those things that Old Testament believers did not understand, but are only made clear now in the New Testament. Or, as I, as I believe it is referring to here, it's the idea... The mystery of the faith that is someone that's holding to it is someone who understands, who has grasped the faith, the knowledge of Christianity, the knowledge of Christ. It's a believer, someone who has experienced the new birth, who has the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that has brought them illumination to the truth of God's Word. Versus an unbeliever who doesn't understand the mystery yet. They read it, they see it. But it doesn't connect from here to from their head to their hearts. And deacons are men who who are holding to it. This word here is present active. It's the idea that they keep on holding it. They, they're, they're people of conviction. It's not just something that deacon has in his head, but it's something that says, you know, what? I, I, I hear this. I study it. I've memorized it. And I hold it in my heart and I live it as well. And we get this from the idea because he's holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That is, he's not just saying it with his mouth, but he can have a clear conscience because he's living it in his life as well. 
Now, I have interaction with our, our, our different deacons, but one of our deacons, uh, he, he really exudes this characteristic. And, and, I, and I love to be around because of his passion for Christ and his passion for the Word of God. And that when he goes and when he cares for these people, not only does he care for them in a tangible way, but the Word of God also exudes out of his life in action and in word. And that's the kind of man that a deacon ought to be. That would be someone who holds to scriptural conviction and scriptural application as well. He should also be someone who is proven of character. Look at verse 10. It says this, These men must also first be tested and let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. That is, these guys ought to not just be guys that you just, you know what, let's just throw them in the office. That is, a nomination meeting for deacons shouldn't take place like this. It shouldn't say, hey, let's make Jim a deacon. And someone pipes up, well, well, Jim doesn't really come to church that often. Well, if we make him a deacon, maybe he'll come to church more often. <laughs> and you laugh at that, but there are nomination meetings that operate like that. That ought not be. This office of deacon is not just some flippant thing that we had. Just throw, let's throw somebody in there. But it's someone who has been tested. It's someone who has, has proved. This idea of just throwing people in, it, it, it can do damage to the church. I mean, the, the, these are lead servants. They're to represent the church of Jesus Christ. And when the world looks in, they ought to see the actions of Christ in them. They ought to see service taking place amongst men of character and integrity. It can also do much harm to the church and the individual as well, not just the testimony to those outside. You've got to remember the context of what's happening here in this church in Ephesus that where uh, Timothy is at. They have already had false teachers who have slipped into the, in the church. So Paul's saying, no, you, you don't let guys just slip in. You've got to test them. Right? There's much benefit to being tested. In many ways, humans are like sponges. You're like a sponge. You know, a sponge is, is, you know, is placed in water and it's filled up. And humans are like sponges. And, and when you squeeze them a little bit, you begin to see what comes out of those sponges. And the reality is when someone is tested, what we ought to be doing, it's not that we give them a formal test, it's but that we're observing them. It's the present active. We're, we're watching them. And as they're going about, as we see the different, as they interact with people, and as, particularly as they interact with difficult people, I mean, I know there's not any difficult people here, but as they interact with difficult people and situations, we let that squeeze them a little bit, and we begin to see what comes out. How, how do they handle difficult people? How do they handle difficult situations? Because I can guarantee you, when you're put into the office of lead servant, you are definitely going to deal with difficult people in difficult situations, like in Acts chapter 6. So we test them. We see where they're at. And when they prove themselves, when they show themselves, this does not mean that they're perfected. It means that they're growing, they're maturing. But when we see them to be beyond reproach, that there's nothing that we can really say, like, man, this is a real serious issue, it's then that we put them in the office of deacon. In reality, is we do the church a favor and we do them a favor as well when we do that. Now, one of the greatest places of testing is if you drop down there to verse 12, is in, in the home life. 
That is, a deacon should be a lead servant at home before he is one in the church. Look at this. It says, deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. That is, he serves his wife by being literally a one-woman man. That he serves his wife by a husband. He's being a husband who is consistently, both inwardly, that is, in his heart, in his mind, and outwardly faithful and devoted to his wife. That is, he's not only a man who's not flandering and flirting with other women out there, but he's also a man who's not flirting with women in his mind by what he watches and what he puts and what he thinks. Guys, let me give you a little tip. It's for us guys. Here's a little prayer that I've adopted for my life, that I use often in my life. It's adopted from Proverbs chapter 5, and I think it's uh, verses uh, 8 through 19. And this is just how I pray it. I say, Lord, help me delight in the wife of my youth. Now, I'm not quoting you all the scriptures around there. You guys go read it, by the way, all right? But I say, Lord, help me delight in the wife of my youth. Let me joy in her. Let me be exhilarated by her. That's how you begin a one, one, literally a one-woman man. You got to be proactive, guys. You got to make it your prayer that God empowers you to be that kind of guy. Make that your prayer. Write Proverbs chapter five, eighteen through nineteen down, and go make that your prayer, so that you might be this guy kind of guy. Because this is the call, not of just deacons, not just of elders, but it's a call of all of us who are followers of Christ. You know why this is so important? Because, guys, our relationship with our wives, it puts on display Christ's relationship with the church. The way that you are devoted and faithful to your wife, what you're saying is you're, you're modeling to the watching world the love of Christ. And I'm not naive I know the struggles. What worries me is the guys in this church that I don't know who are struggling with being a one-woman man in their minds, in their lives. That's a struggle for you. You need to repent. You need to come and talk to me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to come. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you be this kind of man through the power of Christ in you. He also serves his children. It says, Let the, just as the elders must preside well over his children, so too must deacons preside well over their children. The reality is you can tell a lot about how someone will minister in the church by how well they minister to their children. As I've been caught up in just how busy you can get in, in church life and being the work of, of a pastor, there's one thing that God has continually convicted and worked in my heart. And he says, he's kind of laid on my heart over and over. He says, Matt... The way that you minister to your wife and your children is going to be the overflow of your ministry for the rest of your life, so do it well now. Don't sacrifice that, because you're going to minister out of that now and for the rest of your life. In fact, I wrestled for a time with the idea of going and get my doctorate of ministry in. And it's not that I think it's wrong to go get your doctorate of ministry, and I may still do it, but at the particular time I was operating or thinking about getting that, I remember I was at a particular event where 
God just laid it and kind of impressed on my heart. He didn't say anything audibly or anything like that. But he says, Matt, what I need you to get your doctorate of ministry in right now is your family. And for me, for me, I'm not saying others, for me, God said, not now. Because what you're going to minister out of is how well you manage your family. And that's key. That shows a lot. And so deacons must do that well. Now, there's a verse I skipped here. And uh, it's in verse 11. It says, Women, likewise, be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. The word likewise seems to introduce uh, another group of people. And this is a hotly debated question. The big question is, who are these women? What what is it that they're to do? And as and as, as I've studied this, and I've studied, I've put a lot of time in looking at this, there are all kinds of, well, there's, there's basically four interpretations. Let me just give them to you quickly. One, are they, are they talking about women in general? I think that's a little out of place because it's smack right in here talking about officers. Two, it's, is this deacon's wives? It's, it's possible as, as the word there for women can also be translated as wives. Or three, uh, is it women deacons? There was no for, feminine term for deacons at this time. So could this be women deacons? I tend to think he would have maybe said just women deacons in there. That's just kind of my my thought. Or are they women helpers who serve in some official capacity and maybe what we might say are the forerunners of what we eventually called or what was called in the third century deaconesses? You know what my answer is? I don't know. I really don't know for certain. Now, every interpretation I looked, there's some sort of conjecture to get to their, their, their answer. I'll tell you what I favor, okay? I favor a, a mixture of these must be some kind of official women helpers or what we could call deaconesses that serve in some official capacity. And I know that whatever, if we, if we call them deacons, that's fine, or deaconesses, as long as they're, they're not operating in the same way that elders would in the sense that they're providing authoritative leadership over the church or authoritative teaching, I'm good with it. And as I looked at this, it kind of just makes sense because the reality is there are certain situations where I'm serving in the church that I need help from women, that women would just do much better, that could serve than a deacon could that was a man, and we need women. Matter of fact, there are certain situations that I get into and I'm, I'm dealing with them, and it's not long before I know it, and I'm already thinking about who's the godly, mature woman who has a servant heart that I'm going to call because I can only take this so far. And so we need women of these qualities. And notice their qualities here. They, they are dignified. Again, they're worthy of respect. No, they are not malicious gossips. In other words, let me illustrate this to you. They're not doing this. Girl, did you see what so-and-so was wearing? Mm-hmm. It didn't match, did it? <laughs> and better yet, did you, did you hear the real reason her mother-in-law doesn't like her? Did you hear that? And did you know her, her husband? I hear he's not as godly as he shows up to be on Sunday. Mm-hmm. There are women that don't do that. The, the, the word here is diabolos. Did you know that? The word for gossip? Guess what that's used for? The devil. The devil is a slanderer. In other words, he's saying these women who serve in a official capacity, they cannot be she-devils. Okay. It can't be that. I'm not going to raise any hands that knows any she-devils, okay? 
They can't be that. Slander is destructive in the church. It will tear the church down. It has teared churches down for centuries. And these kind of women can't be that. They must be also not be, uh, they must be temperate. That is, they're, 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 they, they do things in moderation, not given excess, and they're faithful. They're, they're trustworthy in all things. These deacons and these deaconesses, they, they require high standards and high qualities. The reality is that some, when they look at the idea of what the, the deacon is called to do, they might think of it as just a menial task. Oh, I, don't, I don't want to be that. Those guys serve, you know. They pull weeds out of flower beds. They, they work on cars. They, they just do the things that the elders don't want to do. And reality is that's not how God looks at it at all. In God's economy, when he looks at the, the deacon, as he looks at servants, he looks upon them highly. Look what it says there in verse 13. It says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That is, they obtain, because of their service that they do well, they obtain at least two things here. The first is that is of high standing. It seems to speak to the idea that they are looked upon and they are respected because of those that give of themselves and they do it well. I think perhaps even more, the, the honor and exaltation that's being spoken here in this high standing is the exaltation of God. Look what Jesus says about service in Mark 10, verses 42 through 44. Let me read this to you. He says, calling them to himself, that is disciples, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their, their great men exercise authority over them. But that, it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. See, in Christ's eyes, in God's economy, in his eyes, when he sees servants, and particularly when he sees servants that leads well, what he sees in those individuals is he sees greatness in them, not menial tasks. So when I walk out of my church office and I go and I see a deacon who is sweating under a van, preparing that van so you guys, you youth, can go travel on your mission trip, what God sees and what I see is I see greatness in there in repairing those vans. See, servants are great in God's eyes. This is a high position. This is a high calling the deacons who serve will also gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know what you find when you faithfully serve the Lord with all your heart? And you see God kind of just working in you no matter what the task is. As a matter of fact, when you put it together, that you, by you uh, working on the vans, is actually serving and helping the mission trip. When you see that God's doing that and orchestrating in that, you know what that does to your faith? It bolsters it. I can remember times in my life when I thought I was doing little, just menial things, but then later when God just gave me a little glimpse, hey, Matt, here's how this small thing you thought of, this act of service, this is how it made a difference in their life. You kind of just, your, your chest kind of goes, yeah, you're, God, you're using me. And it makes you confident in the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. You want to know why some of you are experiencing a lack of confidence and boldness in their faith? Because you're not doing anything with it. You're not serving. 
You want to have your faith grow? You want to have your faith bolstered? You want to have confidence in whom you believe? Step out and serve. Be used of God. And you will see your faith grow. I want to close with this. You know what the most beautiful thing there is about when you choose to serve? You don't know what the most beautiful thing about it all is? It's in that last verse that that closes out here in Mark chapter 10. It's this verse here. It says this. He says, But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now here it is. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is, when you realize that greatness, there's greatness in service, it's great because the reason it's great is because it puts the greatest one on display, the greatest servant ever, Jesus Christ. When you and I serve, we're displaying the person and the work of Jesus Christ is what we're doing. We're putting that on display. Matter of fact, in one of our small groups, there's a family that is preparing to move. And uh, that God is leading them elsewhere. And another lady in our in the small group um, thought, you know, I really need to go over there. I know she's getting stressed out. And I'm going to go over there. And so this lady went over to help this person who was moving. And when she got there, uh, she began to just immediately just begin to help her start packing up things. And then in the midst, of, uh, as she as she by the way, she also brought a, a cup of coffee to her as well. This you need a little caffeine to get you going. So she brought her some Starbucks. And she jumped in there and she was helping her pack. And as she was packing, she began to realize, because this person had four children, she realized, you know what? Probably the best way I can help her is to take these four children out of here. <laughs> so she did that. She took those four children and she took them home. And so then later I heard that as when this lady was moving, when she came to go pick up her children, she came in and she just began to say how encouraged she was, how thankful she was. And she was just in the midst of stress and she was so thankful. And she finally says, you know, it was just like Jesus showed up with Starbucks when you came to my house. And that's the truth. When our deacons serve under a car, it's like, it's like Christ serving as a mechanic. When our deacons are are serving and they're pulling weeds out of flower beds so that when you come in here, you can enjoy the beauty of it. It's like Jesus picking out those those weeds in a flower bed. When our our deacons are going over uh, different financial things, it's like Jesus being an accountant. When they're they're helping, when when we're taking care of benevolence, it's like Jesus taking care of the poor. Because you and I are representatives of Christ. And we are called to serve. And as you go out and serve in the different ways that God has called you, and He's calling you to them, you are putting the Christ on display, is what you're doing. Service is great because it puts the greatest one on display. May you and I be those who serve as we are led by our lead servants, the deacons.